Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast. On today's episode, we're doing the second in our Kotatsu Corner uh, minisodes. These are just going to be more casual content. We're not going to be talking about any one subject, not one particular anime or video game or piece of media. Rather, just going to be a very casual catching up episode, really. So if you're here for anything in particular, uh, you're not going to find it unless you just like hearing the sounds of our voices. So uh, I am Tobias, of course, as I'm sure you're already aware. And today I'm joined by Bill. Hello. And I've got Ryan on the episode. What's up? And last but certainly not least, we have Sully. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, yeah, you are. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Uh, so, how are you guys been holding up? It's been a while since we've had, I know, at least Bill on the episode, uh, on the podcast. So, Bill, what have you been doing in the past, I don't know, eight months since you were last on? Besides trying to not get depressed by the real world news, watching a lot of Detective Conan, um, trying to get in the habit of reading, because as Tori likes to say, read a book, read it, <laughs> and... <laughs> Getting back into uh, playing some video games beyond Hearthstone. Oh yeah, and I don't know how much you love that Hearthstone. <laughs> A little too much. <laughs> All right, Ryan, what have you been? Uh, what have you been up to since uh, I think what was it? The B Stars episode was the last one you were on. I was on one after that. I just don't remember exactly what. Was it with Persona Persona Five? Wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. It has been a while though. But yeah, uh, if you read my Twitter, which I can probably say most of you don't, uh, you'll know I got COVID. So I've had nothing but time for like the past three weeks because I was quarantined and recovering and dealing with that. And it's as not fun as you think, especially when you're alone. But, you know, Tori says read a book, but you know what I say is don't tell me what to do. So instead, I watched a ton of anime and played a ton of games. (laughs) If nothing else, you had a great excuse to just sit in bed and absorb media passively. Pretty much. Like, it was actually so bad. Like, I was getting so bored by the end of it because I was starting to feel better, but I was still kind of, like, I was just kind of consistently tired. So, by the end of it, I just called my boss and I was like, can I work, but, like, don't take my work too seriously right now because... I'm still kind of sick, but I need to distract myself. And he just was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I, I'm really bored here. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. Uh, just take it easy. We won't 
bother you too much. And I was like, cool, thanks. But that aside, like I did, I did get to do a lot of stuff that's been on my backlog for a while, and it did feel good to put a fairly large dent in that. Like I was averaging at the beginning of 2020, beating a game per day. I mean, it's great that you've been able to make progress. You know, distract yourself away from from that situation, and it's great that you know it doesn't. At least not yet. There have been there has been no you know consequences or anything out of it. There's been no glad that you didn't really get the brunt of it as much as I've heard. Yeah, I was fairly asymptomatic. I'm just I, I'm I'm sucking on cough drops as we're reporting this, and I apologize to the editor in advance because I'm probably going to have a lot of coughs that are going to need to be edited out. It's that's like the only thing I have is like a persistent cough because of it. Yeah, and uh, I, I totally get what you mean about working. Uh, work's kind of been up and down for me as well, and having that sense of normalcy uh, has been at least been helpful to to distract myself from the weight of the world. Are you still working from home? Yeah, yeah, I'm still working from home. Uh, I kind of started doing that before COVID, but luckily, it, uh, the world saw to it that. Uh, my new work from home scheme would be the same for everybody. Yeah. So uh, it's it's been a, it was a challenge at first, but things have been pretty good the past few weeks on the work front to me, uh, which is a lot better than I could say six months ago, where I was working a lot of overtime constantly, week to week, just to catch up. But uh, yeah, things have been going pretty good on that front here. I've been, uh, as far as myself, been playing some games. Not, I have not been beating a game a day. I'll say that much. <laughs> I stopped. I should also preface: I've stopped doing that since like yeah. the, the fourth or the fifth or something. Like surely, you know, surely the laws of physics prevent you from continuing that through the end of the yeah. year. Surely, you needed some time to like eat or and sleep. Uh, uh yeah. All right, well, Sully, what about yourself here? You've been awfully quiet. What have you been uh, up to lately? So, as people know, I used to say I've just been vibing because I heard that and became utterly fascinated (laughs) with the phrase and inserted it into my everyday vocabulary everywhere I could. Uh, That has since been replaced with the phrase having a real one. (laughs) And I would like to report that I have been having a series of real ones for the past two and a half months. Uh, really, it is, I finished my, the first semester of my last year of grad school with the initial plan that from Thanksgiving until New Year's, I would be working on a lot of the projects that I have kind of in the pipeline for my degree, which includes two papers and a book chapter proposal that I just sent off yesterday, which means if they accept me, there's a possibility that I could have my writing published as a chapter in an academic textbook, and that's very exciting. The The reality of the situation is I actually got very little work done over the break, uh, from a combination of having to take care of my mom over the break, dealing with everything going on, like the holidays and... Uh, stressful world events and also just trying to make sure I didn't get sick while also making sure my mom, who was sick with things that were not COVID, was taken care of. And just the general, like, when I'm on break, my brain's like, you don't have to do anything. It's fine. You don't actually have to work. And I found it very difficult. Like, I, I managed to write five pages and then after I was like, that's good enough for two months. I mean, you need a break, otherwise you're gonna just burn out, so. Yeah, but I think I have this sort of, like, this voice in my head that's constantly driving for me to be more disciplined. And that was kind of my new year's resolution is to be more disciplined. 
And the thing about it is, is I always tell myself I'm lazy. And then when I describe what I do to people, they're like, you sound very busy. And I think it's just because the things I do to me don't feel like work. Right. Because I, they tend to, they either come easily to me or because they're like writing papers or doing research or things like that, which do not feel like labor to me. Like I know they are, but my brain doesn't process them as labor. And I think I'm also just, I find the people who, like, talk about being on the grind or being on the hustle, I find them very repugnant. <laughs> Any person I know who says, like, oh, you gotta get that grind, I gra- I ground, grind, ground, I'm an English major, <laughs> I whatever, I hustled, I hustled for this view. I find those, I don't want those people in my life because I find them miserable, and sometimes I think I'm the exact opposite because I'm very, like... I'm one of those sorts of people that if I don't have to do it, I don't really feel any drive unless I have the desire to. So I'm kind of having to like learn that like my conception of what I do is very different from reality while also like kind of pushing myself to do more. And I think also just it's weird because these are things I've had to think about before the pandemic and now after the pandemic when everyone's miserable, I'm like, oh, everyone's just like me now. That's funny. Sully, uh, quick side tangent. Do you also hate the people that are, that used to be like hashtag girl boss or like I'm the big boss? Those type of people too. <laughs> yeah, I think it just grows. It sort of stems from the fact that like I I kind of went when I was an undergrad. I was around a lot of those people, especially in my like yeah. uh, consumer science degree, which I like. I I was told by a professor like one of two things happens to people who do that for their undergrad: either they get really into it, or they become like completely a- against it. I became more and more leftist the more I did consumer science. <laughs> Just that's what happened. Is I I completely was like all these textbooks must be burned to the ground. They are they are dark. <laughs> and wicked but the people in that were very much the like that sort of like i'm hustling i'm grinding i'm doing my thing i'm i'm going to be the big boss and i just found that very like i guess a kind of antithetical to my view of life which is it's a funny thing that happens on the way to the grave life is to be lived (laughs) not to be like life is not a game to be won or territory to be conquered it's something to be experienced sully i promise you on your gravestone i'm gonna make sure that it says just vibin'. <laughs> there actually, there was actually a review for one of my favorite books. Uh, I, I forget why I was reading reviews for it. It's, it's, a, it's a book from the '60s, but some it was an autobiographical work by uh, a queer writer, and someone put, you know, gay man spends life self-important and miserable. Some funny lines. I was like, that's just the perfect tombstone for me. <laughs> here, here lies Sully, self-important and miserable. Some funny lines. <laughs> he, he lived as he died, loving Lom. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, I, I get what you're saying about the trying to maintain focus. And I talked about work, but uh, right the, the end of the year, I took like a like a week and a half of PTO just because I had it built up and I had to use it at the last possible minute. So it was nice to have you know an actual holiday break for the first time since uh, you know high school. <laughs> being but, forced uh, to take a break is always nice yeah it was i mean it, it was nice and i got a lot of you know personal stuff done but i also definitely felt unfocused by the end of it and i was actually uh it was grateful almost to come back to work in a, a more regular schedule that's one of the reasons i kind of want to continue with academia and move forward in that is because like 
most of the people I know who are like professors or researchers, they'll say up front, like, you know, even though the school itself will take, you know, summer and winter breaks, like you're still working, you're still working on research and essays and all of that. And then like when they know that they're kind of off mic, they'll be like, yeah, and I don't do any of it. I, I will just sit and, you know, veg out for a whole month and put off all my deadlines. I'm like, and I respect that deeply and sincerely. Yeah. Now, I ended up uh, buying myself just a very basic, like, notebook planner. I keep telling myself, you know, just just use your computer. Like, use use a notebook you know, online. Use Google Calendar. Like, do something. You don't need to buy a physical notebook to, to plan things. And it never works for me. I always get distracted or forget to do it. I have a physical planner. And I actually, the funny thing is, I buy the exact brand of planner that looks the exact same every year. But I have a calendar and I carry it with me everywhere and I am constantly scribbling down like plans and notes and things. And I, for me, I find that so much more helpful and just, I think for me, the physical act of writing, it helps commit it to memory because there are things that like I remember just Mm -hmm. offhand, like maybe I know when an appointment is, but just writing it down helps that. And I tried, I have physical written diaries, and I tried last year sometime to to move to digital to type out my diaries, because I I am left-handed, and it is very, very obvious. Anyone who looks at my handwritten (laughs) notes find them illegible and monstrous, as though they were the the writing of demons. (laughs) And I actually, so Austin finally convinced me to sign up for Letterboxd, and I was like, look, you do the diary thing, and I feel weird just starting completely from scratch, so I actually pulled out my diary, my physical handwritten diary, where I wrote movies I watched and who I watched them with and on what day, and... One of them is a very small, compact, like, Moleskin diary thing, and it was just so cramped and messy that I was like, I watched something with someone, and I think that's a six. It it was just, it was very difficult, (laughs) but I managed to construct the last roughly two years of movie watching so far from my physical diaries where I would always write, like, I watched this with this person, one sentence review or reaction, and then my actual, like, thoughts for the day. And I'm trying to get back into writing physically and maybe, like, forcing myself to just write more legibly so that I can, like, actually go back and enjoy it. Yeah. No, for sure. And I, I totally get what you're talking about, the physicality of writing these things down. There's even the small daily tasks that I do, even things like washing dishes or taking the trash out. If I write them down and you know, you get that satisfaction by crossing them off the list, there's just so much time that you know you waste when you just kind of sit around and think about, you know, I should be doing this. I should be productive. I should be you know, taking care of these things, but I've been able to just knock off, you know, some long-term stuff and uh, daily stuff just more easily by having it written down. It feels even better if you put like very, very tiny minor things, or if you split up one tax and and just, you give yourself more things to cross off and it makes you Mm -hmm. just feel so much more accomplished. Yeah. Got out of bed. Check. (laughs) All right. That's my day right there. It's all done. (laughs)
Alright, so let's go ahead and start with uh, today's news. So, well, I should say today, but uh, Ryan, why don't you hit us with these uh, these video game announcements that we just heard today. So yeah, it's actually today and yesterday. Yesterday, uh, as of recording, Bethesda tweeted out a pretty unusual tweet that they were... It wasn't even an official announcement. They just randomly tweeted that they were working on an Indiana Jones video game and that they were very excited for it and would be announcing more later. So everybody was like, wow, that's exciting, and didn't really think much of it, and then wake up today, and Ubisoft is talking about how they're going to be making an open-world Star Wars game, and everybody's like, what? So EA is losing its Star Wars exclusivity license, which, to me, thank God, it's about time. Yeah. Basically... Lucas uh, Lucasfilm Games is being revived after being dead for like a number of years now, which is massive. And they seem to want to actually like revitalize all these properties that have just kind of been forgotten in the gaming sphere. And everybody's been saying for a long time, they're like, a lot of people liked uh, Fallen Order and I love Squadrons, but they're like, we need a little more Star Wars because these are very niche and like... In the past, there's been a lot of Star Wars games just in general. You know, up until the new Squadron's release, we haven't got an actual you know, Pew Pew Starfighters game uh, in a long time. I've certainly been wanted in the Rogue Squadron. I know you and I both love Rogue Squadron, so like yeah. the movie announcement got me very excited for the potential of like a crossover game or something. <laughs> don't, don't forget the game Rebel Strike, the sequel to that. That game was also good. So what do we? So I think we've kind of been talking about the the Star Wars announcement today. Um, I think it was Will that made a you know he noticed that it's not really been done by the studio that does open world stuff exactly the same vein as Assassin's Creed. So like, what are we? What are we? What are we hoping for when it comes down to the new? What Will mentioned was that it's the same team that did the Division Two, and yes, mm-hmm. the Division Two is more of an MMO game, but that's also the same team that has done Far Cry, and Far Cry is an open world game. Okay. If I have first person lightsaber combat or first person blaster combat again for the first time in like over a decade, and it's like solid open world with planet exploration or even just one planet that's going to be a great game i think my worry though is it's just going to be a ubisoft game where it's going to have the ubisoft towers and it's basically just going to have a star wars skin (laughs) over it the feathers it's funny you mentioned that actually far cry 5 if you haven't played it distinctly broke that they stopped doing it because everybody made fun of them so much for it and they realized it's just not fun you go up one tower at the beginning of the game He's like, so let me guess, now I have to go around and activate all the rest of these towers, and they're like, what are you talking about? There's one tower. <laughs> That's it. Hmm. Yeah. I would I would love for them to or to see a return into a more Kodor RPG style game. Uh, I don't know if they would necessarily do that. It's Bioware is kind of um, doing its own thing now. Bioware is, in fact, just vibing <laughs> currently. The, the Bioware that made Kotor is not the Bioware we have today. Yeah, it's not that everyone that probably was involved with Kotor is, is gone at this point. So I can't. I, I don't. I'm not getting my hopes up for another uh, RPG, but I I would love to see the return of of not even like old Republic style. Just a, an RPG would be great. I think what would be really cool, especially if we do an open world thing. I I think a Mando story would be pretty cool. Oh yeah, that would be great. honest. Mm, given be given right how now. hype that is right now, I would not be surprised to see somebody make a game for that. 
Yeah, I mean, even if it's not Din Djarin, I think, you know, having armor, having a jetpack, that kind of stuff. Well, we had, like, Bounty Hunter, uh, yeah. and that was those were all linear levels. So, yeah. like, I could see maybe an open-world thing fitting, fitting that sort of gameplay. There was also the canceled Boba Fett game, Star Wars 1313. That that happened mm-hmm. when Lucas game, Lucasfilm Games closed the first time. Like, everybody was really upset about that because it looked really cool. So, like, something like that, even if they brought that game back, ooh. The biggest takeaway from this news, it feels like Disney saw all the blowback that happened during the whole Battlefront 2 debacle and said, we want more control and this exclusivity deal with EA is not really working. So we're going to kind of do what we're going to take the games workshop approach and basically go to different studios and say, hey, what would you like to do with Star Wars? And I think if they have more quality control and are able to pick out interesting studios to work with. I think that would be really cool. Like, um, I know it's not Star Wars, but the, Indi- the reason why I'm excited for Indiana Jones, even though we have Uncharted, is it's made by the same people who made the really good Wolfenstein games of, of recent uh, years. Yeah. So. Well, I will say this about the, what, the Lucasfilm Games is the new name. Uh, I would love to see a huge revival of their old adventure games line. You mean like the point and clicks? Yeah, the old point and click games. Like, I, surely I don't, I don't think point and click is necessarily a genre that would necessarily hold up in 2021 with a new audience rather than the, you know, the, the oldies like myself that, you know, grew up with those. But I think it would be cool to see a return to those in some form. Give me Day of the Tentacle 2. <laughs> I, I don't want to see a, a Monkey Island open world Ubisoft game for damn sure. <laughs> but, uh. <laughs> oh my god. Could you imagine that? <laughs> oh no, I can't. <laughs> god. But, uh, if they were to be able to capture that sort of same magic that people remember. Because when we think of, like, Lucas, we think of Star Wars, of course. But, like, LucasArts Games has that. That whole Monkey Island and Day of the Tentacle and what was it, Full Throttle, like all those classic games that have developed a cult following, but... Yeah, those were like my childhood PC games. Exactly, yeah. Basically, Tim Schafer games. Because <laughs> all of them are made, except for like The Dig, all of them are made by Tim Schafer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it would be cool if they were to bring that back in some way. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to get my hopes up too much for that. The one other thing I think is very possible is you mentioned uh, maybe go back to Old Republic. They actually, in the Expanded Universe, just started uh, comics and books surrounding the High Republic, which is like 600 years after Old Republic era, or actually even later, because I think uh, KOTOR was like 3,000 before Battle of Yavin, and um, High Republic is 400. So it's a much, much later period, but the the books that I've read so far, it's a really cool era. So it'd be really fun to explore in like a game. Oh yeah. And I think another thing that people kind of skimmed over is that the EA license doesn't really expire until a few years down the line. 23. Have, yeah. Yeah. So we've still got a solid like two and a half years, something like that until we get any of these. It's more than enough time for us to get announcements and speculate, but it's not like we're getting, you know, Day of the Tentacle in 4K. Come, uh, <laughs> well, we, come, we, had Day Ten- we had Day of the Tentacle remastered not even that long ago. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So I think, uh, I know High Republic is one of those things that, they're. are they doing a TV show of High Republic as well? Not that they've announced. 
Okay, so it's just a no, novel no. and comic series currently. Yeah, so far. Like, I, I think they'll and... probably expand it because the reactions so far are pretty positive. Yeah. Hopefully its own soundtrack. <laughs> well, that would that would be a great way to do it. I mean, KOTOR was pretty new. Like, I, I don't think there was any comic stuff that it covered that particular era at the time. So there No, the game a, came and then the classic. comics came. Mm-hmm. So that was all brand new territory. I think it'd be cool to do... Yeah, we got... Uh, I guess it wouldn't be KOTOR. It would be Coat here. <laughs> Bites of the High Republic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, KOTOR. Uh, I'd be down with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dolly, do you want to go ahead and uh, continue this video game gravy train with uh, today's and yesterday's announcement? Oh, yeah. So uh, for people who don't know, they just dropped the trailer for Mario 3D World uh, plus Bowser's Fury on the Switch. Mm-hmm. And I didn't play 3D World on the Wii U. I actually... I had a very a, a Wii U for a very brief period. I bought it used from someone I was on the executive board of the Sci-Fi Club in college with. Um, he like sold it to me like a hundred bucks with some games, and I kind of played the back catalog. So I didn't play 3D World because it just when I first saw, I was yeah. like, it's going to be another like new Super Mario thing. It's going to be kind of like it'll be competent. Like that's usually how I describe like the new Super Mario Brothers series to people. It's like it's competent. <laughs> it doesn't push the boundaries. It it doesn't give you the sort of like unique experience. It's very competent. It is for like smaller children to get them into platformers. Yeah. Um, it's not like Odyssey or something. And over time, people are just like, no, you gotta try 3D World, you gotta try it. And the more I saw footage, I was like, this does look a lot more fun than I thought. And, like, when I got a, when I got rid of my Wii U, when I eventually sold it off because it was just taking up space, it was a Netflix machine after a year or so, after I beat, like, all the games I had bought secondhand for it. I, I was like, okay, well, maybe one day. I'm sure they'll eventually port it to the Switch, because pretty much every game that was good on the Wii U will get ported to the Switch eventually. Yep. <laughs> because the Wii U was... A colossal failure. I wouldn't say it was a colossal failure. I would say it was a failed experiment, a failed test run of what the Switch was going to be. It did yeah. not have the market penetration that arguably it deserved, but... Objectively, it just didn't have as great a market penetration as the Switch did. I will say there are games on the Wii U I think were good. I think there are ideas the Wii U had that were good. I will say overall, it is, again, a failed experiment. I I personally did not enjoy playing games on it. Even if the games were good, I just found myself feeling like this is not fun to play. I hated the Wii U controller. I would always play with a pro controller or something like that. I hated how complicated it could be just to kind of set it up sometimes. I hated like how like clunky the interface was, but this is not a Wii U discussion. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they, they are porting 3D World to the Switch, and they're doing Bowser's Fury, and it looks really, really good, and it looks really exciting, and I'm kind of curious as to how they're going to do this new mode. And we have this video with this sort of kaiju-esque Bowser, and Bowser Jr. being like upset <gasps> and worried, and so I'm very... Like, I'm glad that Bowser Jr. is going to get a part because yes. I, I ha- Bill is a Bowser Jr. stand and I find that adorable. And I also <laughs> like feel like people are too rough on that character. He, he debuted in 2002. It's time to get over it. Dude, Bowser Jr. single-handedly framed Mario for a crime. Like, he succeeded. 
I think the reason why people dislike Bowser Jr. so much is because he sort of replaced the, the Koopalings in terms of the canon. And, like, I get the nostalgia for the Koopalings, and I do think they have fun, wacky designs. But I think a lot of that nostalgia is misplaced towards, like, the weird old Mario cartoons or, like, the personalities that fans projected onto them rather than personalities that these characters had Initially, like, they didn't even really have names until Nintendo of America gave them names from, like, punk stars, so, like... Well, they, they had names in the manuals. Well, no, but in Japan, they didn't have those names. Those oh, okay. names were given by Nintendo of America. Oh, I see what you mean. And then they were adapted into Japanese. Um, I think that's why, and also, like, the whole, like, oh, in our in the version of the story we're telling now, Bowser Jr. is Bowser's mm-hmm. only child, and then the Koopalings are just... Child soldiers. Let's let's call. I think they're cousins. Today. They're child soldiers. I mean, they, there has been no official like confirmation as to what they are. And I'm one of those people that like I both wish the Mario series would like have a little more care towards like canon and storyline. But at the same time, I'm like, guys, stop. You know, who cares? Calm down. It's a Mario game. Like Mario is like. Looney Tunes or Popeye or it's one of those like the characters are there to fit in whatever role they're supposed to fit in like it's it's both I want it to be deep and also I want fans to stop taking it to be so deep which is why I got kind of uppity when everyone's like oh in Japanese it's God Slayer Bowser and in English it's, it's that whole thing <laughs> that's a that's an amazing name though no, but it's not real. It's It was completely and totally like a one-off joke that somebody made on Twitter, apparently. And it also just, to me, kind of goes into this whole, like, we want Mario to be badass. And, like, I, it's like, you're playing kids' games. It's fine. Yeah. You can play, it's like you can play a kids' game and have fun as long as you also do other things. Like, I'm one of those people like, you can, you can indulge in media that's not for your age group, but, like, also please, like read a book or watch a movie <laughs> that wasn't made for five-year-olds like i'm i'm begging you to literally do other have other hobbies <laughs> i think the thing that frustrates me is like yeah there have been times where nintendo will censor certain things or change the names of certain things because in japanese the name will be more extreme in the english connotation that it is in japanese like i know in mario galaxy one of the the galaxy has the word hell in it and people are like oh in japanese it's so badass like no in japanese the word the english word hell has a completely different connotation and cultural standing than it does in english like if nintendo was to do that in an english game like they would probably get a lot of flack from the kind the market that they're trying to reach with these games and i think this whole like oh nintendo of america's taking the l again because they're censoring it's like no like you have to realize that these names mean different things in different places that's what the localization is for and that just well i mean i don't i don't think that because like i shared that initially just taking it as a as as serious like i i agree that you hear something like god slayer like hell those have different cultural implications in between the two languages so for my in my case like i didn't necessarily want bowser to be a you know hyper badass an actual slayer of deities there was just a a bit of a culture shock hearing the difference between God Slayer and and Mega Fury. I don't really think anybody was actually mad at Nintendo. I think we were mostly just pointing out that there is a a, a culture shock between the two. Yeah, uh, I think what's really fascinating about that whole thing, I know it did quickly come out that yes, it was completely fabricated. There was no proof whatsoever. So you know, I yeah, I shared that uh, on face value. 
Uh, I think there is something to be said about just accepting that hearsay. Uh, it was in the context of that tweet, it just felt so innocent that there was no reason to disbelieve it. You know, you hear that, you think that, okay, that sounds like, you know, a Japanese phrase that, you know, to us sounds extreme, more extreme than it really is intended to be, you know, but there was really no reason to disbelieve it. So I think that is something to be said about uh, not checking sources and just, you know, assuming something is, is, is real online because you read a, an errant tweet somewhere. I think it also sort of misses the forest for the trees because it's like, regardless of the name, that design is very sort of out of left field for what we come to expect from a Mario game. Like, it is a very, again, kaiju-esque. Mm-hmm. Like, it yep. feels like it feels like Bowser is in Godzilla Final Wars or something. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what they do and if the mode will be fun or not because, again, these, these Mario remakes or ports that have, like, the additional bonus game tacked on have been kind of hit and miss, especially with, like, the Superstar Saga, the Mario and Luigi uh, RPG series of games where they kind of, like, toned down the art style and the side missions were just not that big of a a plus to kind of get people to care anymore. But I'm personally, like, I don't know if I'll get it on day one because I'm a cheapskate and I just sort of wait until eventually i'll buy something but i'm i'm definitely excited for it i think the dlc stuff looks really good yeah i mean i feel like having not played the original game like i'm kind of and going in blind i'm going to get like you know my time and money's worth anyway i mean i i'm one of those people that like games i'm i'm a i'm a casual gamer and i tell people that and i don't have any shame in that like i care about my nintendo because i am secretly still 10 years old i want my zeldas i want my marios and you know i just do it to blow off steam or to have fun or to like you know feel the 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 small pang of joy i'm still pop i still have the capability of feeling so i mean i'll when i get around to it i'm sure i'll have a great time yeah uh, and you mentioned earlier how you know you heard a lot of people talk about how great it was. You mostly experienced secondhand, and the only thing I have to say to that is just add me next time, Sully. <laughs> uh, I completely agree with your assessment. It, um, I was kind of within very wary because I also don't like the new Super Mario Brothers series. They are just kind of there uh, at best. Never really impressed me, but uh, Mario 3D World. Uh, it managed to capture the linearity of classic Mario with a lot of the mobile improvements from the 3D games. It was definitely not Odyssey. It's definitely not 64. They're very short, linear levels. But I think it does so in a really great way that is is honestly greater than the sum of its parts. And having watched uh, footage of the 3D world, like the, the, 3D, the 3DS game and this... I find it just really interesting because I think it captures what Nintendo was trying to capture before with, like... Because I did get Mario 3D All-Stars for Christmas as a gift, and I had been playing through uh, 64 and Sunshine, and then when I finish those, I'll go to Galaxy, and... I played all of those when I was a child, and the thing is, is, like, Mario 64 is good, but it's very, like, you can tell this was new territory yeah. and sunshine i don't think it is as bad of a game as people say it is it is a frustrating game sunshine's not a bad game it's just of the 3d marios it's the weakest 
Yeah, and I think for me, a lot of that weakness is the 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 flood mechanic is not really completely thought through, and I find that the sort of aesthetic of it is a little off-putting. Like it, it's so cohesive that it's kind of bland. Like, okay, everything. Oh, uh, great, another beach, another beach, and then you have Galaxy, which I think is a brilliant game. But it kind of removes that sort of world aspect that 64 had and Sunshine had where it's like you're in a sandbox, you're in this little walled off garden and you can explore it and, you know, sort of needle around it. It's very linear. And I think that the 3D World games kind of capture that perfect blend of the linearity of the original platforming games, you know, Mario World, Mario 3, the original Super Mario Brothers. And the the actual 3D capabilities that they've had since the 64 era, just and this is just right. from watching videos. Like it feels like I look at those, I'm like, this is what I, growing up with the 2D games, would have imagined Mario's World to look like in mm-hmm. 3D. Like it's kind of yeah. weird and and geometric and not and kind of wacky, but it's not as like linear as Galaxy is, where it just kind of feels like you're moving through set pieces. <clears throat> yep, exactly. So I mean, I, I'm I'm definitely going to pick it up. If not first day, then pretty soon after. Uh, Bowser's Fury looks okay. I don't I don't really have my expectations set too high for that, so I don't get disappointed. But uh, I enjoyed the original game enough where I think uh, on the strength of that alone, I will I'll definitely enjoy that. Yeah, and I, I didn't mention it when we were kind of reviewing what I've been up to, but I did get a job. Um, an online what? teaching job. Yeah, I have an online teaching job. It's not that. It's not like that thrilling. It's it's just something I'm doing and kind of testing the waters. But I will be getting like money that is not the money I use to live off of. That's um, good. So, yeah, but the thing is, I'm like, so that means I might be able to every once in a while, possibly, maybe consider thinking about buying something for myself, which is why I actually yesterday I went to order the loop on the third, the first steel book. And I was like, well, I was going to go to the grocery store tomorrow. Maybe I should wait and see how much I spent at the grocery store. And then I was just like, I guess I'll never buy it. I, I think I'll just wait because I'm very, like, it's kind of a joke with all of us that I'm a little bit of a skin flint and that I'm very terrified of spending money. And that's why I probably don't play as many games is because I'm like, well, if I'm going to buy a game, it better be the best damn game it can be or else I want to feel like I just <laughs> wasted all my money and I'm a terrible, awful irresponsible person who just doesn't deserve to ever let filthy lucre touch his greasy little paws that's how i feel you don't deserve lupon i don't deserve lupon <laughs> so i mean i think you mentioned that and that did like just come out this week i think right yep lupon the first yeah lupon third the first uh i'm i'm the only one that's seen it so far so i don't think we're really dive into it unless you guys want to I imagined that we would eventually... Yeah, I thought we'd eventually do an episode about it. Yeah, I, I I remember that it came to theaters, and I just both, one, didn't feel like it was safe to go to a theater, and two, and I found it was a drive-in. I, I've yeah. kind of discovered that the idea of a drive-in is more fun than it actually sounds like if you sit and think about it, because I'm like, well, if you had a convertible where you could watch it with the top down, it might be good, but it's like, well, you're going to be looking through your windshield... And sitting for two hours in a car chair and trying to get comfortable, <laughs> and you have to listen to it through a sound box. It's like 
this isn't as this isn't I think the experience the director wished us to have when watching this. <laughs> was that his original intent? I'm just imagining like I, I I feel like it would happen to me. I would go to a drive-in theater and it would start raining, and I'd have to watch Lupin through the windshield wipers, squeegeeing away in the water. <laughs> this is Kino. I completely agree. I had to watch it in the back of Austin's truck, uh, hunched over, leaning sideways in a sliver between the door. It was, it was not, um, what do you say? Ideal? Ergonomically ideal. Let's put it that way. It was not ergonomically ideal. Uh, I was just, I was just glad to be seeing a movie for the first time in, in eight months. Uh, I'll say that much. But, As of uh, Valentine's yeah. Day, it will be a full year since I've been to the theater. Yeah, it was it was nice to be back, but I completely agree with Sully's assessment. It was uh, less ideal than sitting in an actual theater. So uh, I imagine when we all get a copy of it, we'll watch it in an episode on it. Uh, I will say that it was worth watching. Uh, I'm not the the biggest Lupin fan, but I think you guys are going to enjoy it when you get a chance to see it. Can't wait. We're on this video game train. Uh, Bill, do you have anything specifically maybe game-wise you want to talk about besides Hearthstone, uh, maybe? Let me, let, me, let me do this. I know you've been playing a lot of Dungeons & Dragons lately, right? Uh, yeah, I actually ran my first game as a DM. Oh, nice. Uh, for, the, for the first time, which was really fun. Like All my players really enjoyed it. Um, the premise was the players were going to a wedding where there was going to be an assassination on a high-valued uh, target the wedding, and so they had to figure out who it was and stop the assassination. And uh, okay. there was a lot of like um, kind of social intrigue, and they had to do a lot of conversations. Because uh, for for me, I find I like fifth edition, but I find fifth edition combat kind of boring. Yeah. So, and I'm and I'm more of a RP D and D enthusiast <laughs> yeah uh so uh that's kind of what i made the central point of my uh 
of my one shot, and every, all my players really enjoyed it, and they um, got really into it. I'm hoping to run a campaign, either some, hopefully sometime this year, within the Eberron campaign setting, which is kind of D and D's answer to okay. like steampunk. And I, I I like that setting because it, it's more rooted into what we as people know in our everyday lives. Plus, I can do kind of more interesting things RP wise, like. I can do a radio uh, station with different shows like where I can use maybe mm, potentially yeah. my editing skills as a kind of cool, like, immerse you in the world um, tool and uh, kind of have you more rooted into what we know. And I also like urban adventures, so I think that would be pretty fun because um, uh, fantasy kind of in the forest is, it can be boring at times because it's been it's been repeated over and over again um so but we'll see um i'm hoping to do that and i also got the oh, what's the name of the company that does the star wars rpg fantasy flight um, fantasy flight yeah will's actually trying to run one of the star wars campaigns it's it, it that was a pre-rona dream though yeah i think Talk about I, I really like the Fantasy Flight games. I played a bit of those a few years back. Uh, very, very good way to do Star Wars stories in role playing. Well, I've had to do D and D over Discord and later Zoom because all my players are based in the Raleigh area, uh, and I'm and I'm in Charlotte. Um, so I've had to get used to just doing that. And I would say, as long as you're diligent with Spacing out your speaking, speaking, um, you can do D and D or any type of role playing game over online. I I know you miss the camaraderie of doing it in person, but as someone that uh, had to do it online while everyone else was in person, it was kind of nice because it evens the playing field that I don't feel lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Um, compared to everyone that's in there in person. Yeah, it's always nice to see whenever somebody tweets a you know picture of their setup, whether they're DMing or playing. It's always kind of nice to see like what 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 programs are using, you know, how they have their windows organized, like how how their battle station is, you know, set up for for game them. Yeah, but uh, I I did pick up a bunch of D and D centric books from third party um, developers, which i um that's one thing i'd advise people if you're into D, check out some good third parties like go on the dms guild uh kobold pressed uh mm-hmm. does some really good books like i i just picked up their all their monster books tome of beast and tome of beast oh 2. yeah yeah so uh i highly recommend those so and support third parties because they're people that just uh love gaming and um you know your dollar will go to helping them pay their rent absolutely so it's been a hot minute since I played Dungeons and Dragons, but my board game group we did just start last week a Blades in the Dark campaign, which is a an indie game, sort of kind of based off of Apocalypse World and the PBTA systems. It has a lot of the same uh, a lot of the same principles, but it's kind of got its own mechanics. It's basically uh, you're you're a criminal group doing heist, a la like Peaky Blinders. With a touch of Dishonored and like Bloodborne thrown in for taste, hmm. so it's been a it's it's very centered around the players coming up with these heists and executing them. So you you have a touch of 
maybe not evil per se, but it's certainly not the the valorous, you know, paladin esque things you think of when you think of you know classic D anD. d That sounds really fun. Uh, yeah, so we just made our our, our group, our uh, our crew, as what they call it. Uh, we haven't actually got a chance to to play it yet, but I'm looking forward to that because it it does something very similar to the Fantasy Flight Star Wars games. You know, when you make a roll, you have success or failure, but it it really takes into consideration the complications that crop up uh, with these roles, and the complications are basically narrative sparks which uh, add things to the story and take it in, in very unexpected ways. So I'm always a big fan of when things like the Apocalypse games or when Fantasy Flight Star Wars uh, has these mechanically, um, like mechanic me- mechanics to um, introduce complications. Hmm. All right, so let's go ahead and bring it back up to the top here. So Ryan, you want to maybe talk about this other video game announcement that's relevant to uh, today's date? Yeah. So, this Friday, uh, which will be well past by the time this episode comes out, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, the game, is getting a reprint and a re-release. Limited Run Games is publishing the physical versions, but also digitally it's going to finally be available after over a decade of being just a lost game. Mm-hmm. This was a game that was originally released on PlayStation Network and Xbox Live Arcade. It's based off more the the graphic novel than the than the movie. And I'm just really excited for this to finally be a thing again because I've wanted to play this again for the longest time. I played it at a friend's house back in high school because he had it. And that I haven't played it since, and I've wanted to revisit it because I read the I read the graphic novels again, and I watched the movie not too long ago, and I'm like, when is this game going to come out again? So I think it was a couple months ago, Ubisoft finally announced that they were that they got the rights back and that they were able to publish the game again. Wasn't it more just a Brian Lee O'Malley? chimes in on Twitter, the author of Scott Pilgrim said, I would like this game to be re-released, and that kind of got the ball. It was a, yeah, it was like a massive quagmire with the rights, which is why it disappeared, because they had the rights to make the game and to publish it, and then they lost it, or they decided to not republish it anymore. I don't remember exactly what happened. It's it's probably also because it's based off the comic, which is also based off the movie. So no 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 to... the comic came first. Well the the like well, yeah sure, sure but but the the game itself was tied to the movie because Universal you know had the rights to it at that point. Right. I think that's what it was. I think Universal took took away the rights. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd have to deal with like the movie rights because that's yeah. separate from the book rights. Yeah, it was like you said a quagmire of of things. It, it was a nightmare. Yeah. It, and the same thing happened to Deadpool actually. Like Deadpool um disappeared off of digital platforms for a while so that game unless you had a physical copy was a lost game and i was i had wanted it on steam before i got a copy on my playstation but yeah that was uh it it happens sometimes it's a really weird thing that it's like you can play this and now you can't See, I I never got into Scott Pilgrim, I think because my introduction to it was, like, the commercials for the movie, and I don't know, I don't know, what is that guy's name? Michael I just Sarah. look at him, I, yeah, I just look at him and I'm like, you look like how I imagined oatmeal would look if it were a person. <laughs> <laughs> and 
for that reason, I just, I never, it's like, this is not for me. Like, I don't want to watch this movie. And then later I was like, oh, these comics look kind of cute. They look fun. And I'm, I'm very much the person that I will get into something well after it is in the cultural zeitgeist. And very recently I've been like, maybe I should give the movie a second chance because people are like, have hyped it up a little bit. And I've seen the comics at our local used bookstore, and I've been tempted to be like, well, it might be worth a shot. Like, the art is cute, it's very clearly inspired by, like, manga, and American comics, and video games, and, like, maybe we've got, like, maybe there's enough distance in time where I could tolerate this, because I know, like, isn't the name of his band, like, Sex Babomb? Yeah, yep. It has a lot of video game references. Yeah, it feels, like... I, ironically, we're kind of back into that because I remember when, like, when did the movie come out? Like, 2006, seven, twenty ten. No, 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 no. 2010? 2010? Dang. Uh, I feel like it was just, like, in that era of, like, every, like, adult who, like, grew up in the 80s and then, like, went on the internet, and most of them went to write for crack, let's be honest, <laughs> uh, were in that phase of, like, did you know, like, sex babom? get it? Because, like, babom's like, the enemy, get it, get it, get you get it? it? And I just found that very annoying. Like, it's like, we get it, you all read Sean, baby. <laughs> We, we 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 kind of are aware. It's very funny, guys. <laughs> Epic bacon, lol. You win the internet. And I think I think the more I've kind of like looked into it, the less I think it kind of falls into that. Like it does seem to have like a little more to say. So with the game coming out and it being kind of lauded as this sort of lost gem, I'm kind of tempted to give Scott Pilgrim a chance. I mean, it it might be better than I think it was pitched to me as because again it was pitched to me with oatmeal man and you get it you get it like bombs that's how i was introduced to it yeah that's not a good introduction i i you know off offhand i don't think you would really like the movie yeah. or graphic novels but i will say i am interested to hear your specific review of it now i want to know why you don't like a solely rant on scott pilgrim is gonna be fun i i'm i'm in the agreement with tobias that yeah. i really think that you're not gonna <laughs> like the movie or the comics going back like i do i do agree with like ryan that the game is probably the best part uh, the game is like the best way to experience it i remember the game being very fun the designs like you say are just like the graphic novel but they're you know in pixel form so they look even better uh, i remember the bosses were great um as someone who will always love Anamataguchi, their soundtrack was amazing <laughs> i've had a uh, the scott pogrom versus the world the game the soundtrack on my iPods, iPhones, whatever portable listening devices, pretty much since it came out. Uh, really, really like that soundtrack. So um, I don't, I'm not really a big physical gamer guy myself. Uh, I don't generally care as much as like Ryan and the, the Midshelf crew do. But I'm thinking of splurging on this release. You're going to get the super expensive, like, $140? I, I don't know if I'm going to get the, like, it's got the full case with the pop-up scene and the lights and the music. That's a little excessive for me, but they are, I think tomorrow they've got the pre-orders for the, the vinyl, yeah, the soundtrack mm-hmm. out. And, you know, I don't even have, like, a record player or whatever. I've, I've ignored the whole vinyl craze somehow. I don't know, man. I'm debating it. I'm debating whether I'm going to be like Sully and spend my money or feel guilty about it. Yeah. I have a I have an issue with, like, a lot of special releases because they tend to be, like, 
maybe for fans of things they're better but for me okay an example is recently i bought the 60s batman blu-ray set and they had two versions of that set the first one was the one that came out when they first got the rights back and it was like it comes with bubblegum card replicas and a replica batmobile and it's in this big long box and it's like I get that this stuff should excite me, and, like, I think that they're neat, and they're fun little doodads, but I can't put this on my shelf with my other Blu-rays, and, like, I'd rather have something, like, it did come with, like, an Adam West, like, photo booklet. Like, I'd rather have something informational or something that I can store easily rather than, like, stuff that's just gonna take up space, because, like, even when they did the animated series, it's like, oh, you get two Funko Pops. Wow, great. (laughs) Oh, my God. I can use these as doorstops, I guess. <laughs> I have the Batman animated series and Batman Beyond collector's editions, um, the Blu-rays, and the boxes are as big as they are because of the freaking Funko Pops. I don't know why they try to include them with everything. Like, I don't dislike the Batman Beyond one I got because it's metallic and it's actually one of the few Funko Pops that looks really good, but it's so big. Yeah, and that's kind of how I feel when I see some of these, like, special releases. It's like, I'm glad there is all this stuff, but some of it, like, a poster, or the the vinyl soundtrack, or a booklet, or, like, a nice case. Like, I feel like that's different as opposed to, like, here's all this stuff we can do that, you know, is just going to take up space, and, you know, you're never going to use it, or you're never going to really display it, or... It's like a... I hate joke releases of like, oh, can you believe we're going to give you this too? And it's like, you just wait. Mother Earth is crying. A prime example of this which annoys me is I'm a big fan of the the G Gundam TV show. Right Stuff put out a very nice box of that. I want to get that nice box primarily for the art book. The other crap I don't care about. I don't care about a red headband or that they made a shot glass that has the tequila Gundam on it. Yeah. I, I just think, I just think like, that's cool when you first get it, but most of that crap, I just give to somebody else or just throw it away. Yeah. I, I'm okay with a figure if it's like an actual decent figure, but most of the time I also am like, why can't you just sell the figure separately? Like, you can do a media mix where along with selling the thing that you're excited about, you can sell figures and stuff and it's fine like i find a lot of this also because it prices other people out like again i couldn't buy the 60s batman even though i love it a lot because it was like 250 dollars and i'm like can i just get the show and not like a bat i don't need a batmobile i don't need replica <laughs> 60s bubblegum cards i don't have anywhere to put them i just want to watch adam west beat up cesar romero that's all i need <laughs> I don't know. I guess what I'm asking for is, like, I know that, like, physical releases are something that people just don't care about like they used to, but a part of me, and I know this is the part of me that is why I'm bad at marketing, would be like, can't we all just be, like, Criterion and, like, have a nice booklet or some art or stuff like that and have it be very tasteful and and something to be proud of? Don't get me started on that Godzilla set, though. That Godzilla set is freaking Yeah, I mean, because I've gotten stuff. I remember I bought the special edition of Yuri on Ice on Blu-ray, and it came with, like, an envelope full of, like, postcards, and I'm like... I don't know what to do with these. And now they're just, like, sitting in a box somewhere. It's like, I mean, they're nice, but, like, they're not, like... I can frame this and put it on my wall nice, and they're not, like, you know, it's like, I know they're postcards, and they're made to be postcards, like, am I gonna, like, mail a friend of mine a Yuri on Ice postcard that I basically spent $80 on? (laughs) I mean, those types of things, like, I like 
special editions or collector's editions, what have you, that come with art, because mm-hmm. I enjoy art a lot. I don't really care about, like, maps or coins or, like, all this other crap that comes with it sometimes. And, like, half the time, a, like, a collector's edition of, like, a game or something comes with a figure. I don't like the figure, so I don't want to get it. Or it's, like, absurdly expensive and not worth the money. Yeah, but if you're going to do art, put it in, like, a booklet. Like, either release, like, a booklet or yeah. or use the art in the release itself. I know that that's also tricky because when you do a release, you have to do rights, clearances on the artwork you use. Or the company is like, this is the art for the series. You use this, that's it. There's nothing else you can do. Um, but, like, again, those cards, like, they're nice, but I would have rather had them in, like, a little booklet I can slide into. They were even, they were too big for the actual Blu-ray case. Like, you can't even, like, slip them in there. Uh, it was kind of wild, but that's, hmm. that's the market for you. I will say, as far as Scott Pilgrim's concerned, like, so much of the hype has been because it was lost for so long. Oh, yeah, 100%. You know, if you didn't have... Uh, PS3 or 360 that the hard drive you know hadn't failed yet and still had it it was just completely unobtainable like not only did they remove it from the store they made it so you couldn't download it again like it was completely lost as someone who like rewatched the movie earlier this year for the anniversary uh, I won't say it's great but it certainly reminded me of that period in my life uh, warts and all and uh, it is certainly very nostalgic for like you were saying, Soleil, it was sort of the cusp of that era where this whole, you had this like nerd nostalgia hadn't quite hit the main mainstream yet. Like it was, it was bubbling over into that. And I think there's something kind of weirdly innocent about the Scott Pilgrim franchise at that point, but also prophetic in a sense. Yeah. I mean, I feel like from what I know, Scott Pilgrim pretty much predicted the the nightmare that is Ready Player One. <laughs> I don't think Scott Pilgrim's like is that reverential. It, it does do things like sex bob and things like that, but I will see. I will give it that. It doesn't go overboard with the references. They're just there. It doesn't. It doesn't like you know. It's not crucial like, to the story. Oh well, yeah, it doesn't like poke you. Like oh, you get it. What was that? What was that song, Sully? Uh, do you remember Akira? That's from Japan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't mind references either i mean i think all art references what inspires it you know either on purpose or inadvertently i think my problem is just like i i i remember reading when like that person on twitter was like posting pages from ready player two that's a clever title (laughs) um i mean it's a sequel i know but like again it's just that anyway was posting pages from it and i was just like this man has written this this awful awful tripe this 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 <laughs> terrible terrible prose that just like makes Defense me solely. feel it offends me and also just makes me feel this deep existential dread of like is this is this what i sound like to other people because i am passionate about like like batman comics and and anime and and nintendo games and and rocky horror and all the like all the like ephemera that has like inspired me to be into popular media and culture to the point that like my academic research focuses on the intersections of of popular culture mass media and queer identity is this what i sound like is this what my life basically is is a sad sad man rambling about the things he liked when he was 10 and then i'm also just deeply disturbed by the fact that this man has written this 
and he will see more money than I will ever, I, than I can probably ever conceive of in my life. Like, if I were to work like a dog for the rest of my born days until I drop dead into the cold, cold earth, I will never even meet a fraction of what his his financial compensation for this cultural nonsense will ever be. And that just makes me shudder. That's a, and that is a good Sully monologue if I've ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I was going to leave us on Scott Pilgrim as a segue, but uh, I think that'll is, is you know a, an even better segue. <laughs> the, the cultural death of our uh, our nerd landscape. But speaking of nostalgia, uh, I'll I'll touch upon I guess one last bit of video game ephemera before we get over into anime news. I did just kind of start a personal project. Uh, I have a new WordPress blog that I started. With the sole purpose of going through my Steam backlog. Uh, I've collected a bunch of Steam games over the past, oh, I don't know, not quite 20, I guess 15 years or so. And they kept staring me in the face every time I loaded Steam. And I've been meaning to write more, but didn't want to necessarily write up 100 plus games on the Third Impact website. So I started my own and I've got a couple games already uh, published. Currently, I'm working through uh, Stalker, Shadows of Chernobyl. Uh, but I have done uh, the original Max Payne and uh, Braid, uh, Gish, and Yet It Moves. A couple of indie games. And Yet It Moves is a great game. I I completely agree with you. It, uh, going into this, I think a friend of mine had made an offhand comment that he didn't like it. So my expectations were very low. But I I completed it in one sitting, and I really really enjoyed it for what it was. So I don't I don't really I'm not committing myself to a particular time frame for these. I would like to keep working these as much as I can. Hopefully, knock out a good many of these through the year. But I think that kind of goes back to my whole idea of having a physical planner. Is hopefully I'm gonna uh, manage my time a little better. Uh, but I do want to knock out some of these games that I probably paid something like 50 cents to a dollar for 10 years ago. Uh, get get my money's worth, so to speak. Uh, but I'll have a link to that in the comments if you want to check that out. But that's really all i got to say on that.
So, let's go into anime and manga news. Uh, so the first thing I want to point out is uh, about a month ago, it was right before Christmas, in lieu of the the you know the, the conventions and the lack of conventions over the past year, uh, our favorite video game licensor, Discotech Media, had a virtual panel, uh, which they announced some new projects and talked about the progress of the existing ones they already had in the pipe. And there were a couple of really good titles that I think we all, I think all of us were kind of uh, wrapped around that that Twitch stream as they did it. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to their work on Project Aco. If you haven't seen that, I would I would try to go back and watch the VOD if they have it up. But basically, for Project Aco, since the original uh, like master doesn't exist, they are having to use like AI upscaling technology to get it to look good and high def. Yeah, it's uh, isn't it? Um, they're kind of reversing technology from Laserdisc. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. They they the source they're using is a Laserdisc copy of of the movies, and I think uh, Brady and Justin talk a little more about it. But they it's a little module that sits on uh, attaches to the Laserdisc player in some degree. That they yeah uses like AI technology to to upscale it, and from there they you know may do they 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 do manual cleanup as well. So it's not just relying on on that technology. But uh, if you look on their Twitter, they posted before and after screenshots of the video, and it looks gorgeous. Uh, yeah, weren't they also it. using technology uh, from the Doomsday Book project where they were actually like like using it to do research on the the doomsday book in england and now they're using it to you know to uh remaster anime like it's kind of wild like how much work they've put into the echo release mm-hmm. exactly yeah i would be real i mean it's gonna be really curious to see what they do after echo and with this new technology who can use it and for what other projects they'd be able to do with it yeah, exactly. I think uh, they're lucky enough in which they are able to get enough sources for some of the stuff, but they have talked a lot about the issues they've had. So they also licensed a show, I think it was like Ninja Soldiers uh, Toby Kage, which had a very limited English release uh, that they don't even have full access to. So they're having to source episodes from like Australia. And the uh, the original English dub wasn't not to say it wasn't competent, but uh, oh, you know. oh, that dub is a masterpiece. <laughs> that dub is an that, absolute masterpiece. The, the English that that dub is up there with the great one of the greatest dubs, Sword for Truth. If everyone yeah. remembers that one, <laughs> yeah. I'm I am praying that they find those episodes they're missing because I I I I don't care anything about the Japanese original because it it seems like it's just one of those things that's it was there it's not important but the dub the dub seems absolutely buck wild and i'm here for it um it's kind of like a ghost story situation only you know they weren't trying so hard to be funny it was just that ridiculous and bonkers yeah i think you're just recording a kid's show and not really thinking that 30 years, 40 years down the road, there's going to be a bunch of nerds sitting around computers uh, laughing at your jokes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so other than that, they've got a bunch of new releases. Uh, we don't really feel like we should cover all of them, so I'm not going to really do that, but feel free to check their Twitter out, and if you can see their the VOD on Twitch, uh, I would highly, highly recommend that. So far, they've done like 
every six months or so, every season, they've they've done a virtual panel. So uh, follow them on social media and keep an eye out when they do their next one because it has been a it's been a fun watch for sure. And speaking of virtual panels, I think the Japan Foundation has just announced they're doing a Sailor Moon uh, panel. Sully, do you, uh, you want to talk more about that? The Japan Foundation has been doing uh, virtual panels for a while now. I know that uh, Miyu and Austin had, been, had watched the uh, Anime and Academia panel that they had done uh, quite a while back now. And uh, on April 28th, they're going to be doing a panel about Sailor Moon uh, called Sailor Moon, How These Magical Girls Transformed Our World. And it's going to be a discussion about, like, you know, we've reached almost 30 years of Sailor Moon. We're going to talk about its popularity, um, the fact it kind of appeals to people from all sorts of different backgrounds, genders, sexual orientations, races. um, And talking about just sort of Sailor Moon's effect on popular, global popular culture Mm -hmm. and why it still kind of has this traction and this huge fandom today. And uh, they're going to be having a few different academic panelists on to discuss it. And uh, I'll make sure we put a link in the show notes. Hopefully Mm -hmm. this episode will be out in enough time where people have some time to prepare for it. I know I went ahead and RSVP'd for it when I saw it um, in my news feed. But I'm kind of excited for it, but I'm also like a little hesitant because I have a lot of feelings about Sailor Moon and like popular feminism because I think that yes, Sailor Moon is a very feminist work and I identify as a feminist and like I'm writing this book chapter for a feminist publication. But I feel like kind of people don't want to like dig deeper into like problematic aspects of Sailor Moon or its place in history Uh, in Japan, or, like, yes, a lot of people are empowered by it, but we're not really looking below the surface. I see a lot of, like, I hate to term it this, but, like, BuzzFeed feminism about Sailor Moon, and so I'm hoping this will, because it has academics on it, will be a little meatier and something with a little more substance than, like, I see so many things of, like, 20 times Sailor Moon was hashtag feminist as bleep. Um, It's really just, I'm hoping something better than that. I know that like me and uh, former guests on the show, Retro Sofa, talk a lot about like our annoyance with people not wanting to like look deeper into the Sailor Moon mythos or the fandom and kind of like have deeper discussions about it beyond like, they're girls and they hang out with each other and isn't that great? And they fight monsters and that's feminist. It's like, yeah, that is, but like, let's talk about like the fact that Usagi's body is constantly commented upon in the series or like the fact that their powers are derived from cosmetics, which people in Japan have pointed out like, hey, this is basically consumerism mixing with our feminism. Like your powers come from compacts and lipsticks and pins and such. Uh, talk about the fact that like, why are most of the queer characters on the villain side? Or, like, what does it mean when people discuss Sailor Uranus's gender? Like, I mean, these are deeper conversations we can have, but it tends to just be, like, again, like... Memories, I think, a lot about, of, like, the the original Deke dub, I think, is where a lot of the sort of, like, BuzzFeed feminism comes in. Because I see some of like, did you know, in the original, they're gay? It's like, well, yeah, most every person in the Sailor Moon fandom is aware of this. <laughs> yeah, um, not news. Yeah, and that kind of frustrates me. And again, there's also like the live action series and the musicals and all this other stuff that I feel like kind of doesn't really get talked about in the like larger cultural zeitgeist. I mean, I feel Sailor Moon fans talk about this, but like I don't really see it kind of branch out. So I'm hoping that this will be a, a meteor discussion of like Sailor Moon and what it means for the people who still are obsessed with it and still follow it. 
Yeah, looking at the event pride page now, it definitely seems to be more of an introductory-esque sort of panel. So I can't really see them breaking into those subjects with the same depth that you're talking about. But these are not just random people at an anime convention, so I I, I do think they know what they're talking about, I'll say that much. Uh, but I, I agree that it would be great to have maybe more lecture-style events like this and more conversation uh, that does die, you know, delve into these a little deeper than, like you said, the, the BuzzFeed uh, feminist interpretation. I mean, as someone who is a big fan of the musicals, I try to point out in my panel that the person who wrote most of the, the music for the shows was Akiko Kosaka, who won the Yamaha music contest in the 70s and became like this huge like presence in Japanese music. And then these musicals were seen as like, oh, they're just for elementary school girls. And I'm not going to do that, like, secretly the Sailor Moon musicals are deep and adult. It's like, no, but we can talk about how there was this sort of, like, this is just something we're doing for money. Let's not put a lot of effort. And then you have this, you know, well-known musical songwriter, like, really putting effort into it that that a lot of people probably just have phoned in. And I think that's something to talk about, like, what does it mean when we put effort and care into musicals for elementary school girls, where we try to make it something more than it could have been? I think that's, like something i try to do and one of the ways i would say like we can talk about deeper discussions with sailor moon and feminism uh, i will say as sort of wrap up that point i am i am glad to see more of these discussions and anime panel you know convention panel style events that are happening um, in lieu of conventions between the virtual events uh, like i mentioned discotech uh, anime lockdown earlier in this year and you've had these sporadic events like uh, Dave Merrill has done a few events and you know, Momocon earlier I was a part of that had a few virtual events. It's been really nice to see this sort of discussion, you know, not tied to physical locations anymore. It's been nice to be able to see these people uh, talking about these subjects in, in virtual space in a way that is easily accessible to everyone. And I hope that even when conventions come back, you know, in in full force, I really do hope we see this trend continue. I've really enjoyed that this past year. Yeah, and I do want to I do want to mention real quick that this is free. Like this is a free to register and attend event. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go and you have time, don't feel like there's like a, a monetary uh, hurdle to jump. Yep. This is January the 28th at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we'll have a link to the event, pride pa- the event Bright page to pre-register. Uh, like Sully said, it doesn't cost anything, but they do require you to RSVP and send out the video link. Uh, I think the last time they did it, it was just a YouTube link. I yeah, think it was. I think so. And, if, and you can probably just go to the Japan Foundation, too, and look on their site if you can't find the link on ours. Yeah, exactly.
Alright, well let's go ahead and sort of wrap up here. One last uh, bit of anime uh, discussion. Bill, uh, you mentioned earlier at the beginning of the episode that you've been watching uh, Detective Conan. So that is a big investment of time, right? It's something like 20 years ongoing now? Oh, it's, it's, not, <laughs> it's nothing, Ryan. Only a show that started in 96 and is still going. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm on, we're like in the 700s. Oh my and, god! Uh, we're, <laughs> we're on. Let's see, movie, movie like eighteen or seventeen. Cause, Gotta be uh, at this they, point. They because they come since ninety eight. They've been coming out with a Conan movie every single year, excluding uh, this year because COVID. But uh, yeah. so how this all started was my usual anime watching partner Michael. Uh, we mm-hmm. caught up with One Piece. We kind of goofed around, and he said, we need wow. to find another super long series to get into. And he said... <laughs> he said <laughs> Only Bill would say, we need to find another super long series to start from he square said, one. He, he wanted to get into Detective Conan because he had nostalgia for mm-hmm. it. Because back in 2004, 2005, Funimation put out the first four seasons, plus the first six movies. And uh, they, it aired on Toonami, I think, uh, back in the day. Yeah. So we started watching. Uh, so we started going from there. We started watching Detective Conan last year in October, and uh, we're in uh, the year of 2014 in Conan time. So we've okay. been getting through it. We've been getting through it really fast because we skip all the filler, and. Um, so uh, that's so each season's usually about like twenty to twenty four episodes, usually if you skip filler. And if you don't know what Detective Conan is about, it's a long running murder mystery uh, detective show, anime and manga. It's known as Case Closed here in America, uh, about a teenage detective that uh, is forced to take this medicine that makes him a small elementary school boy and he is to find a way to get back to his teenage self uh stop the people that made him take this poison and on the way help the police stop a lot of murders that happen in japan (laughs) uh so if you grew up like watching like agatha christie adaptations you probably Mm -hmm. would like detective conan a lot because i see a lot of hercule Poirot in conan at times because He, it, the murder will occur. You don't know who the murderer is, so you, as the audience, get to have the fun of just like figuring out how the murder was committed and how it was done, and who could it have been between these usually three so, suspects. So, is it like every episode is its own standalone case, or is it something that's over a season? It everything is compared to One Piece. Conan is very standalone. The story is very much like. Um, for lack of a better description, like USA Network serialization, where the -hmm. serialization will kind of be in the background, and it'll maybe take like five minutes of the episode. So it's like like Scooby-Doo Mysteries. They're solving an episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're solving a murder case um, basically in two-parters, usually every episode, with different scenarios. And what makes this show really fun for me is I grew up with Agatha Christie murder mysteries, and I've always found this mm-hmm. fun. And watching murder mysteries, it's fun as you as the audience trying to solve it 
And also, the character dynamics are really fun and engaging. And there's a romance tease of will they, won't they between the main characters, which is always fun. And uh, so that's kind of what's kept me going. And uh, I like that the world kind of has its own internal logic, which is uh, pretty great. Like, for example, did you know that the only reason why murder occurs is because it's always for revenge? Always. Or if, let's say, um, someone attempted murder. uh, Now, as long as the murder didn't happen... They don't go to jail. <laughs> because in every case that has attempted murder, no one seems to go to jail. They just forgive the person that can, that was going to try and murder them. <laughs> Which I always find funny. Or um, how Conan has like Superman-like abilities of his identity between his teenage self and his uh, self as a little kid. He's, he's basically Superman in that it's so obvious the the teenage version, but because he has Superman glasses that he wears and because he's slightly turned his head, no one can know he's coming. <laughs> oh my god. So, so, I have to ask, it seems, it, it's something that's going on like 14 years and where each episode is its own case, uh-huh. is there, like, any overarching progression to the main dilemma of him being a kid? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're... Cr- Currently, where Michael and I are, we're in this. The, every villain is named after an alcohol. So, um, so currently, we're in the arc called the Bourbon Arc, which is basically part of each of the villains are part of this organization known as the Black Organization that poisoned Conan. Uh, and okay. each member, each member of the Black Organization is named after an alcoholic beverage. So, there's a villain named Vermouth, or there's a villain. <laughs> Named uh, his name was Tequila. Oh my god! And that's their code. That's their code names. It's another super long running show uh, that I'm into. If Tori is listening, if you want me to get into Pretty Cure or Soli, you (laughs) want me to get into Time Boken. The way you do it is you call me three or four days a week, and we watch a minimum of four episodes. Four to four to six episodes, and that's how I get through a long running series. I, I can't really tell if you're depending on um, them to help you watch it, or if you're going to force them. <laughs> this seems vaguely no. threatening. <laughs> it seems like between One Piece and Detective Conan, I think the the lowest common denominator <laughs> there is you, Bell. I think you just no. I'm th- I'm talking about other long running <laughs> series. Like I've learned when it comes to long running shows, I need a co pilot. Because the fun part for for myself, besides the show, is just our own little in-jokes about Conan. Because we've watched it so long. And it's the same thing with One Piece. And and also, it kind of helps because after a while, certain certain cases are boring than others. So, it keeps it engaging. And so, what I'm saying is, like, if Tori wanted me to get into Pretty Cure... The best way to do it would be to just to be like yeah. doing long watch up. I will say together. I jumped into uh, to sort of your group's uh, anime nights uh, whenever we do it on the weekends, and it's been it's been fun. It's been a very social way to sort of capture the magic of like college anime club again from the comfort of your own home. Uh, I think there is something to be said about that, and I know we've tried to get a few 
watch alongs in our Discord, and they, they've kind of petered out. We had a few times. I think when uh, Sully, you showed some Halloween episodes uh, a few months back. Uh, so it would be something I would like to see. You know, more people do. I, I've always enjoyed those community aspects. I, I never really had many people join in on my stream, so I just kind of like gave up on them, honestly. Yeah, it's it's been tough, I think. I think it may be something we'll look more into later this year. Maybe sooner rather than later is trying to get more community events as I My last Conan thing, and then I, and we can we can close up close up shop. The cool thing that I find about the Conan fandom is that it's all fan led because Conan has never really taken off in America. So for example, you know how that company fandom took over every Wikia page? Yeah. yeah. And made them worse, yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> uh, there is a wikia devoted to Conan created by fans called Detective Conan World that is so detailed and so well organized okay. that I, I love that it's a fan-run community thing compared to the other wikias that have been consumed. Or how there was this one translation group that did all these fan translations of hundreds and hundreds of Conan episodes... And so I just really admire the dedication of fan to, of of these fans because they had to deal through all these all the hard work that has kind of been supplemented with everything just becoming so available because besides the only thing that's been available here in the states until recently was the manga. The manga has been published by Viz for a long time, but the anime and the movies have never really taken off here. Yeah, I remember when uh, Case Closed was coming out on, what, Adult Swim back in the day? Yep. And it always seemed like Lupin, those things that you could tell had a big following, but didn't really take off in the States like I think they were hoping when they picked it up. Well, it doesn't help that it's a, it's a child and they're dealing with murder constantly, mm-hmm. so it's in that weird, like, what age range can we appeal it to? Yeah. And I yeah. think... I think that hurt it, but hopefully now the discotheque is seemingly to put out the movies, um, it can kind of pick up steam and people can rediscover it, uh, since the Funimation stuff has gone extremely out of print at this point. Well, I wish you the best and your continued watching of Case Closed, and I dread hearing what the next series you, <laughs> you're going to pick up after this. Uh, I, <laughs> we've been debating. It's either going to be like the Macross franchise, or it'll, it might be Hajipin no Ippo. Ippo, I know, is supposed to be pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and, and Macross has its fans, especially people who love, do you remember, love the movie? So yeah. um, we'll, we'll probably get through Conan pretty soon because um, the later seasons, a lot of them are filler or remasters. Okay. So we'll be getting probably getting through Conan pretty fast, pretty soon. We'll be moving on to the next super long franchise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, it's been great to catch up with you and hear what you're excited about and what you've been doing. Do we have any sort of maybe final thoughts before we wrap, wrap up? Uh, anything you want to share with the class, Brian? Not in particular. I don't have anything to promote personally right now, but you can find me at on Twitter at Midshelf Ryan. Um, hopefully, I'll be back to editing YouTube videos shortly, but uh, had to take a bit of a hiatus due to various personal things going on in all of our lives. But you know, oh well, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you guys have had it the time. I mean, hell, you just got over COVID nineteen, so I think you're excused from productivity for about 
Yeah. The annoying thing is also I had meant to be a little productive during my break, but uh, school's about to start back up again. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. Well, uh, Sully, do you have any sort of final thoughts to wrap us up? We are recording this on Wednesday, January the 13th of 2021, literally one week away from the inauguration. I'm just going to say, buckle up, kids. I don't know what's going to happen in a week. Well, I mean, that was the elephant in the room, but uh, Sully let the elephant out of the bag, as it were. But, uh, <laughs> you know, try to take whatever pleasure you can out of your hobbies. You know, I know that we're on this 24-7 news cycle I heard a term today, the infotainment cycle, and I think that's really what it's come down to, is we have this unhealthy relationship with news and information as entertainment have mingled themselves in our brain. I remember when we called it edutainment. I actually got to say about that, like, one of my friends when I was quarantining tried to, like, inform me, and I literally just, they were trying to be, you know informative and like can you believe this and i literally responded nope i'm not doing this right now i'm sick enough as it is i don't care what's going on in the world there's nothing i can do about it and i suggest you do the same occasionally i've got i've got one discord channel which i talk politics with but i have muted the relevant politics channel and every other server i'm on yep. i need a break <laughs> i don't go to you know discord for that reason uh, I barely go to Twitter for that reason. So, you know, as as they say, prioritize your mental health. Um, feel free to step away when you need to. But, uh, well, to wrap Sully up here, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Who, me? No, the other Sully. Oh. I mean, you can find me on Twitter at Calvacun, C-A-L-V-A underscore K-U-N, but I've been trying not to use Twitter very much, and by that I mean I don't tweet, but instead I go there and read everything and just tisk tisk all the time. Um, they, I was... I was always told as a child, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So, <laughs> If only the internet there. would follow along that is one thing i find very confusing is the need that some people have to literally comment upon every single tiny microscopic thing in the world and i've just learned it's not worth it well if not on twitter people can find solely on letterboxd apparently so if you want to read the past what 10 years of your movie watching history you can do so on letterboxd i did put a review uh, my friend Other Austin had me watch a film he loved when he was a child, Planet of Dinosaurs, and he said this was one of my childhood <laughs> favorites. He didn't have a very happy childhood. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my review. Jesus. <laughs> that's my review. My friend made me watch this because it was one of his childhood favorites. He didn't have a very happy childhood. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> that is the most succinct review I've ever heard of a movie ever. <laughs> Sully, every time we do a podcast, you just kill me with with your with your wit and humor. Sully, and your, stop killing fantastic, with your fantastic monologues. I'm glad I do that because whenever I hear my voice, like I listen to the Sonic podcast we just released, I'm like, well, I know that like Ryan sounds okay and Tobias sounds okay, but who in the hell is that squawking effeminate toucan that they got? Oh, <laughs> oh, I can't listen to the episodes that I'm in. Nobody <laughs> likes their own voice. Uh, 
Yeah, I can't. I can't listen to the episodes I'm in. Whenever I'm editing mid shelf videos, I'm like constantly finding fault, and I'm just like, I just have to like accept that it's good enough because I'm way too critical of myself. Well, I if you don't mind, Tobias, I'm gonna promote the Third Impact website. In that, yeah, in that, well, only only if you let me actually wrap you up, you have to let me say it. Uh, wrap me up in like a bow in like wrapping paper. How's that going? Well, I was going to say as far as the, the you know the section there, the conclusion to uh, our podcast. But if you want to role play, I don't know if you're really into that. Uh, feel free to do so. Uh, but anyway, uh, Bill. So, what closing thoughts uh, do you have to wrap us up with? I'm so glad you asked, Tobias. Uh, you can go to our website, thirdimpactanime.com, where recently mostly everyone has released um, their top entertainment things of this past year. I love when we do this because everyone watches different things and has different tastes, uh, like uh, Sully's list is much different than mine, and, and my list is much different than Tobias' list. And uh, I think it's always an entertaining read. Um, I and I think uh, in the near future there's going to be a few more uh, articles and reviews up on the website. I'm not going to say anything because I've learned <laughs> if I say it directly, then it won't happen because I get overwhelmed. So I'm just not going to say it and just say we're going to have some things planned in the future. Well, I'll say, man, just go get a planner. That way you can write it down and you can cross you, off your you list. Have you seen my handwriting, though? My handwriting is <laughs> awful. It's, it's, it's four-year-old handwriting. It's, I didn't, I, I'm Mr. Typist. It's like when I got a pen for Christmas, I said, why'd you give me a pen? Well, just stick to it. I'm sure we'd all love to, to read more of your views and articles on the website. And I certainly need to get a few more of those up myself. But that's something we say literally every podcast, and it literally never happens. So maybe maybe 2021 will be the year we change that. Maybe 21 will be the year of the written word. I don't know. Yeah, we'll find out. Exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. And where can people find you online, Bill? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at WB Foreman, F-O-R-E-M-A-N, 999, where I will usually be retweeting things and once in a while commenting, because I follow Sully's advice of, if I don't have anything nice to say, then why should I speak up? Uh, as far as my closing thoughts here, once again, uh, be kind to each other, damn it. Uh, we're already going through a hard enough time. You know, be there for your friends. Be there for the people that need. You know, give a little bit of yourself, but also be as selfish with your time and your energy as you feel you need to be. Uh, we are all here, and we will all be here in however many years it takes. So feel free to engage in whatever you need to protect your mental health because there's nothing more precious at this point in time uh but you can find me online as usual i spend too much time on twitter uh, at reverend underscore tobias uh, i will of course link my new um theme backlog blog backlog blog in the show notes all right i want to thank you guys for listening this has been our second kotatsu corner episode of the third impact anime podcast uh, if you're listening to this, you can check out our main site at thirdimpactanime.com. Uh, you can also leave us a review on 
um, Apple Podcast or whatever podcasting podcast catching service you use but particularly if you're a user of apple products it would definitely help us out if you would leave a review and rate us through that website uh but again thank you guys for listening and have a great evening